certainly have fears that there is a serial killer at loose in Perth. Sarah Spears, Jane Rimmer, Kira Glennon. And every time you saw a young girl walking by, you think, oh, God, is she going to be the next victim? WA gripped by fear. All members of Western Australia have got a responsibility because these are our daughters and sisters. Now, one man stands accused. If police are right and Edwards is the Claremont serial killer, he's been hiding in plain sight for 20 years. Tonight, the trial of the century goes overseas. With the man described as the third wheel in Bradley Edwards' marriage set to give evidence. I'm Natalie Bongiolo. Good to have you with us for week two of Claremont, the trial and conversation. We're joined today by criminal defence lawyer Damien Cripps. Uh, good afternoon. Good evening to everyone listening. And what a week it has been. What, what a week. Glad to have you back this week. Calling in from district court is Tim Clark. And Tim, you're on a bit of a break at the moment because pretty soon you are expecting to hear from this love rival. Yes. So last week I was calling in mostly at the end of the day's play, but we're even more current this today because uh, we're in we're in the lunch break. But it's uh, at four o'clock West Australian time, so it's a late lunch, and that's because we're accommodating an overseas witness, as you said today, who was the uh, boyfriend of Mr. Edwards's first wife. Now he lives uh, overseas in a, in a completely different. Uh, Hemisphere, and so to accommodate the time difference between Western Australia and where he's giving evidence from, the court has agreed to uh, sit late to um, to get his video evidence, um, and so here we are. We're going to be sort of in about an hour or so, um, starting to to hear his his evidence, and um, however long it goes is however long we'll sit into the night. Yeah, I mean, it's pr- this is pretty unusual, right, Damien? It's it, it's unusual in that the court has had to facilitate the timing. Yeah. Um, but it's something that has to happen. I mean, this person's extremely important. Yeah. Um, has a has a real integral story to tell about the timing of um, the the his relationship and how that relationship um, got got legs, if I could put it that way. Yeah. Um, so I think that it's it, the importance of um, the evidence far outweighs any inconvenience that the court would face in getting this evidence in. Yeah. So, so and Tim- it's less sorry, and it's less in- inconvenient as it would. Uh, if there was a jury, obviously, um, and uh, even in the last 10 minutes, the judge has basically said, look, we'll send the other witnesses home as to not inconvenience them. Yeah. But all the major parties um, as part of the court, um, yeah, and it's just it's just a late sitting because, as Damien says, it's, an, uh, it's a very important witness. Um, it needs to be done uh, in full, um, basically in one block. He wouldn't want to do it again. Um, you know, have to split it up and get another video link um, arranged and, and, and so forth. So, um, so yeah, um, it's uh, it's just one of those things that in, in major trials um, does happen. Yeah. And in terms of timing and what have you, why is this man, you know, this, this man who's had an affair with Edward's first wife and effectively, I guess, has, you know, contributed or been there at the breakup of the marriage, why is this so crucial? Yes. Yeah, so um, as, as we've heard sort of a, f- a few times in pre-trial and in the openings, um, emotional upset is, is how it's been termed, um, the, mo- the motive that the prosecution want to bring um, towards why they say Mr. Edwards um, reacted the way he did and, and, and did the crimes that he's alleged to have done. And this, um, th- this portion of it is, is right at the heart of that. And so... Um, Mr. Edwards and his wife had been together for about four or five years, um, but the marriage was on the wane. Um, as we've heard from her, he brought a computer home, 
from work around about 94, 95. He started losing interest in her and gaining more interest in what was happening on the screen, apparently. And so she met someone through her work um, in, a, in, a, in a legal um, environment, a, a, a lawyer's office. Um, and through that um, work meeting, a relationship formed with, the, with this other man. Um, it went a bit further than that, obviously, because um, he actually moved into the house um, towards the uh, sort of mid-95, and then uh, towards the end of 95, their relationship had become so serious that she basically left Mr. Edwards, moved out, and moved in with, with, the, with the, uh, the other man. And then later on in 96, um, it's, uh, we've heard that she became pregnant to this other man, and crucially, it's her um, breaking the news of this pregnancy to Mr. Edwards um, over the phone after she had it confirmed by a doctor is said to correlate almost exactly in time when uh, Jane went missing. Just um, looking back to what we heard when we heard from the first wife last week, she was actually quite vague on a lot of these things though, wasn't she, in the timeline? She was. Um, the, the, we were quite sort of interested and, and uh, a bit bemused by the fact that she she couldn't pinpoint the dates. Although, I mean, you've got to say it is 23, 24 years ago, so that's maybe fair enough. But I mean, these were major instances in in their lives. Obviously, a breakup of a marriage, a new baby, um, sales of houses, and things of that nature. Um, so she was quite vague. And so this, that's as Damien alluded to right at the top. Uh, of the podcast that's why this um, uh, witness is so important because he will he will give obviously the other perspective um, and and possibly be asked um, other things about um, Mr. Edwards's nature his, uh, his you know how he was around the house and those type of things and also obviously how he reacted to this this third wheel in his marriage so um, yeah, it'll be, it'll, be, it'll be interesting evidence and put more meat on the bones of this emotional upset portion of the trial, we think. Tim, one of the things that um, strikes me, and uh, Nat's mentioned it as well, is that the importance of this witness giving evidence um, seems clear on the face of it. But I would suggest to anyone that there is an element of extrapolating and shedding light on potential negative character traits of the accused, I'm not saying that that's automatically going to happen, but that could mm. potentially be one of the things that the prosecution would hope to achieve with this witness. Um, if you say to any person, I'm living with a couple, that's not necessarily unusual, but mm -hmm. when a relationship develops between the housemate, if I could put it that yeah. way, and the wife, that, that is a little bit unusual. Yes. And it could potentially um, have a great impact for the prosecution on showing that Mr Edwards was a little unusual, so unusual, in fact, that a relationship formed right under his nose with, this, um, with the housemate. A relationship in which he saw them kiss and cuddle mm. and apparently was OK with it. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's an interesting point, Damien, because, I mean, we all like to think maybe how we would react in that circumstance yeah. so I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure you wouldn't be um, calm about it um, but a lot of the evidence that we heard about Mr Edwards last week w went right to that that Brad was 
you know, he was, he, he, you know, he, he just did, couldn't get anything out of him. He was a very calm fellow. He, you know, he didn't react emotionally to anything. So, uh, and Damien's right. Obviously, as I mentioned, the timeline is important. But the, um, you know, the, the, you know, the bonus episode from this witness might well be, well, we get a bit of a deeper insight into what, you know, when Mr. Edwards perhaps did get angry, what was what, what he was mm-hmm. like. Um, because there was some allusion last week to a conversation between the men um, after this affair basically was out in the open that Mr. Edwards maybe wasn't as calm and as, as stoic as uh, as a lot of people have, have, have said. So that could be, yeah, a, a, another in for the prosecution to maybe, um, you know, put a chink in this, in this you know, grey man armour I suppose if you wanted to call it that that, 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 that Mr Edwards was just so unemotional about everything I, uh, Tim absolutely agree and if you could, if you want to try to give it um, a little bit of context if you think about for instance the OJ Simpson trial how advantageous it would have been in those circumstances to have had the um, either the victim or the other person the the partner at that yeah. time give evidence. Obviously, that partner had lost their life as well. But in this case, we've got somebody yeah. who's around who's able to give evidence as to what was happening back in the day. Um, back in the day, it's pretty yeah. unusual. Do, do you know, Tim, if um, they kept in touch? If the first wife and the uh, the man she had the affair with at the time. Um, we don't know much of that. The, 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 what happened after she had the baby, um, certainly in court, hasn't really been explored. So, yeah. I mean, that might also shed light on, That's obviously, right. this man is now overseas and, and we understand lives overseas. So they're obviously not um, together anymore. So, But they yeah, share I mean, a child. Exactly. So they have, uh, you would think there, there has to be some remaining connection, however mm. distant. Um, so, yeah, once again, that will be that will be more um, context background, I suppose, on this on this whole complicated um, relationship in the mid 90s. Yeah. Um, I know I ask you this every day, but I'm just fascinated <laughs> by it. Bradley Edwards demeanor and his reactions today. He did something he hadn't done before. Yes, he seems a lot more animated today, um, for whatever reason. Um, he's been taking notes in court. Um, he had a notepad and pen, and has been um, um, quite eagerly um, taking notes in court today. He's, he's, his demeanour's been, as I say, a lot more animated. He's been, he, he appears to be taking a lot more in right. around the court, directing his gaze towards the back of the court, where he hasn't done before. Um, on a couple of occasions, he sort of signalled to his lawyers that he that he that he wanted to let them know something when there was a, a convenient break. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I mean, it might be. I mean, Damien probably be able to allude better to me on it. Once you've relaxed, I suppose, into the rhythm of a thing, and, you, and particularly being brought up from 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 prison every day, um, it, it might well be that he's basically slept better and and feels a bit more comfortable about the whole process. I find the note-taking interesting. Can we read anything into that, Damien? Is he working closer with his defence lawyers or...? I think that um, Tim, what Tim said is exactly right, Nat, in that the the first week is is, uh, would would have been unsettling um, and he would have been finding his feet. Um, So now day one of the second week, he's a little bit more comfortable and Mm. um, he would have realised, I think, from the first week that and perhaps suggested to him by a counsel as well that if he takes notes, that could help them in their in their preparation for the next day because yes. he he would have some information, things that 
um, when he was hearing witnesses' evidence that, you know, a witness's evidence might take up to two, three hours. You can't remember everything that a witness says. So if you take notes, even if they're in point form, you can, at the end of the day, look back on those notes and say, oh, that person said X, and my response to that would be this, so then you can get your counsel to ask the appropriate questions in cross-examination. Yeah. Um, So let's talk about some of the people you heard from today. You had a couple of Telstra employees and there was a huge amount of focus on their uniforms. So what did you find out of that? Yeah, it doesn't sound that interesting, does it? I mean, a couple of Telstra veterans, one bloke who's worked since the mid-80s, one who's had a 39 career at Telstra. Both of them knew Mr Edwards vaguely, but that wasn't really the reason they were called today. Um, Particularly um, the, the... the second witness, um, who was mainly asked about uniforms and mm-hmm. the process for ordering uniforms, how many, um, so firstly, when the uniforms changed. So we learned today, around about 92, 93, Telstra changed their old uniforms to this blue uniform that we've heard so much about. Yep. Um, and the, so getting the timeline of that, um, and then perhaps most interestingly was um, they produced some very ancient order forms um, or with, with Mr. Brad, Bradley Robert Edwards' name and signature on them, showing when uh, which items of uniform that he'd ordered um, as replacements and critically when those orders were made. And uh, so we saw that he'd ordered some pants, he'd ordered some shorts, he'd mm. ordered a blazer, some ties, um, socks and the like. But most importantly, obviously, they were in... Um, uh, late 1995, yep. which is obviously prior to when Sarah went missing, but probably more, even more important, and um, there was another order made in sort of the uh, first quarter of 1996, um, and then we know obviously when Jane went missing, and the most important part of that will be the fibres, the blue fibres that um, the prosecution say were found um, on Jane's remains, which they say were unique to those uniforms, and therefore um, cut down vastly the, uh, the, the, the the person or persons, in this case a person, who could have left those fibres on, on Ms Rimmer. Tim, just um, having heard that, that's quite interesting. Can you help us and perhaps the mm. listeners out with this? The, you mentioned that there was, the, there was a discussion with these uh, employees about the process for ordering. Yeah. Now, at the, at the end of that, did you get a feeling that they had eliminated um, a wide, a, a vast array of opportunity for any random person to have got their hands on one of those Telstra uniforms? Yeah. I, well, I, mm. I, I think that I think that's the process. And then you, I mean, you had to obviously be an employee of Telstra, um, but then you had it was quite a detailed order form. You had to tick the box. You had to put your your, your unique number on there, then you had to tell them exactly how many items you wanted, where they were going to be delivered, when they were going to be delivered, and you know, I mean, probably the most interesting is that Mr. Edwards had signed for them twice, so he'd obviously yeah. come personally come into contact with those uniforms. Now, obviously, tell, I mean, those those uniforms are, are, are used by a vast array of, of Telstra um, operatives yeah. over the over the years. Um, but um, with what the prosecution will say, I guess, was with all the other circumstantial evidence, the cars and the, and the, 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 the other fibres from those cars and the timeline and, and obviously the propensity evidence for the other um, uh, crimes that Mr Edwards has, has um, admitted to, then it, it, it's basically banking up the, um, the the probabilities, if you like. And this was just one tiny part of that, obviously, um, of 
yes, we know he worked for Telstra. Now we can tell you, look, he's ordered these uniforms on this date in 95 and this date in 96. So that's what he was wearing when he was at work. That, that's right, Tim. And what, what will come from that um, that I anticipate is that if at the end of the prosecution case, the, the prosecution are left in a position where they've got no direct evidence of any of the crimes... All of this circumstantial evidence will amount to something which they will say is irresistible on its own. So yeah. all of those elimination processes and everything are, are solely pegging away or picking away at any irresistibility that um, you could that the defence could say the circumstantial evidence isn't enough for him to uh, be convicted of the crimes. Yeah, and as it stands at the moment, I mean that's that, you know that's not a, it's not a smoking gun. The fact that Mr. No. Telstra wore a blue, pair of blue shorts, as did you know maybe forty thousand other Telstra, but what they will bring in the future is um, they will bring people from Yakka who made the uniforms, yep. the people from the fabric, and 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 they will slowly, slowly, slowly narrow it down. So they will say that fibre could only have come from a Telstra uniform. And look, lo and behold, we have a man here that used to uh, that has worn Telstra uniforms for you know nearly 30 years in his work. And at the time, we know he was wearing the blue because, look, here's the order form. And this will be um, a lot of the basis of some of the DNA evidence that's going to come through later, right? Yes, the forensic evidence. So this is mostly for the fibres, which is a vast um, prosecution brief on its own because we're going to be broken down into what the, which fibres are which and where they were found. And, and, and once again, I'm sure the defence will try and poke holes mm. in that to say, well, they could have come from here, they could have come from there, they could have come from anywhere. Um, so um, once again, that's, that's just a major forensic battleground, uh, battlefield that is certainly coming towards us. Speaking of the battlefield, there seem to be, um, defence seemed to be slightly unhappy today because they were questioning why some of the evidence being given um, was not in witness statements. But Damien, I wanted to ask you, so when that happens, why doesn't the defence just object? At the time, uh, well, from, well, from what I can understand, um, Justice Hall has given uh, not a direction to the defence counsel that he would encourage them to do that in the position if they could. So, right. um, and and in objecting to um, something that was given in evidence that the defence didn't have any notice about, yeah, um, is on the basis that the defence haven't had the opportunity to prepare for that information, take instructions from their client in relation to that information. And it becomes very difficult when you are trying to defend something that you don't know is coming at you. Yeah. And Damien, can I ask, would it be, would there be a little bit of sort of Mr. Jovic trying to unsettle um, the prosecution, sort of, you know, get, catch them off their guard or, you know, just, just, just a little bit of getting under their skin? Is that, is that, does that come into the reasoning at all? I think that would be a convenient bonus. <laughs> Tim, I think to some extent um, we all know that that whenever we're going to object to something that someone that our opposition has said in court, that it it tips the boat a little bit and un yeah. unsettles settles um, that person. And I've got to say, of all the objections, and there hasn't been that many. I mean, it's yeah. not it's not like Law and Order when you get someone <laughs> jumping up and down every five minutes. What the ones he's made have been done at the start of the, uh, start of the day, and they've almost all been about um, getting either. Do you, do you notice or, you know, fair notice about what's coming? And then also about, well, actually, that little bit of evidence there, that I, ca I can't remember seeing that in a prosecution brief. Can you point me to where that was? Um, 
just looking back at last week, one of the biggest bombshells was when the second wife told that she feared for her life and she was terrified toward the end of her marriage. And in court, no one asked her why. And I think, you know, over the past few days, it's the one question that friends and family and everybody is asking me, why didn't anyone ask why she feared for her life? Damien, what, what did you make of that, that neither the prosecution um, asked, and of course the defence never brought it up either? Well, I have to say that when I was made aware of that, I completely understood why the defence wouldn't ask the question. Yeah. <laughs> but I was a little taken aback that the prosecution hadn't asked the question. And it can only, in my view, suggest one thing, that she wasn't in a position to say what the prosecution wanted her to say. Now, keep in mind, everybody, that I don't know the answer to that no. question. That's just a view that I formed. Because if she was going to say, I was scared for my life because I thought he was going to harm me, yes. why would you not extract that? Well, exactly. So it has to be the case, in my view, that it, the answer wasn't something that the prosecution wanted. Um, and it's simply a case that the defence didn't know what the answer was going to be. So do you think the prosecution in that case, would your guess be that they did know what the answer was going to be to that question? I, I'm so desperately want to say yes. <laughs> but, but and I just, I'm so trying to make you... I just can't... I, I, the, reason I, I can, the, the reason that would, I would tend to say yes is because I know how good this prosecutor is. Yes. So if this prosecutor could get the question, the answer, that kind of answer... Mm. I can see no pathway other than the one that you suggest yes. as to why they wouldn't have done that. Do yeah, you... and, and sorry, Nat, just to butt in, but also in this trial, there's been that. It, it, in usual trials, you will get a witness who will give one statement um, to the to the police officer, sign it. Yes, that's true, and that'll be that'll be that. And then they'll turn up in court. They'll, they'll maybe get a copy of the statement a couple of days or maybe a week before the trial, just to remind themselves of what they said. And then away we go. In this case, as like in any part of this case, it's different. There's been yeah. four or five witness statements taken from the wife wives, and they are what they what what in legal circles called proofing. So you go back over the statement, right? Do you remember that saying that is that correct? And, and so. The interaction between the prosecutor, not just Miss Barbara Gallagher, all her staff and, and everything with those wives would have gone on for years and it would have been very detailed and it would be very long. And I'd be staggered if at any stage during that process, uh, the, the, the second wife has not raised the issue that mm -hmm. she then raised in open court. So... I don't know, I, you might think I'm completely barking <laughs> here, Damien, but... I, I, I think they must have known that, that there was these issues that she was going to raise because it, it, Mr. Ms. Barbara Gower didn't react as super surprised when she raised yeah. them. She said, oh, well, well, maybe we'll come back to that later as a, as a certain of appeasement to get her back onto track, but then didn't raise it later, which is what everyone's talking about or wondering <laughs> about. So I'd be staggered if she didn't know. Do you think, just looking at it um, over the past week, do you think the prosecution did a good job of their first week or do you think the defence did a better job of casting doubt and picking holes? I think that um, it's a good question, Nat, and I'll tell you why, because I noticed during the course of the week one of the ways that Tim was um, canvassing accrediting scores, if you could put it that way. So, yeah. well, I mean, you're trying to put together, um, I think, Tim, you had used the phrase, um, it was a tick for the prosecution or it was a tick mm, for the defence. Mm. And I'm going to try to say this every time that I come on and I'm going to remind everybody that 
this man is innocent till he's proven guilty. Yep. So he's actually not required to get any ticks. But there was uh, a couple of points that came out during the course of last week, which I think would be really, really beneficial to Mr. Edwards' case. And I know that's probably not what everyone wants to hear. But the point is, yes. um, I think that was discussed throughout the course of the podcast. And I think anyone anywhere in the world would agree that those ticks would be beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, Damien's absolutely right. Um, on the um, on the fact that Mr. Edwards obviously doesn't have to prove anything, um, Mr. Uh, Judge Justice Hall made that point very clearly in his um, little sort of opening speech to to kick off the proceedings. And the other thing I think, thinking about it over the weekend, the impact of the, of, of what the defence. Um, said, uh, Mr. Yobi said in his very short opening, was made more because we hadn't heard it before. Um, it, I mean, th- those um, issues around the DNA, I mean, they'd been alluded to and hinted towards, but the actual detail of them and the magnitude of them potentially, um, I, I, because we hadn't heard them before, I think they just got amplified um, uh, in the in the in the sort of the whole um, process of a, of, a, of a massive week. And Tim, the gas bill too. Yeah. Yes, yes. I mean, that, that, that is. I mean, that, such a small thing um, potentially could be ha, just have such huge ramifications. I mean, it would certainly, um, you know, sort of blow blow holes in in several um, uh, premises that have been sort of brought up um, over the um, over the journey. And once again, because we haven't heard it before, yeah. um, it was. I mean, it, it, be, it came as a shock, and then. You know, you know, possibly a couple of days later, when he, when he thought about it, you think, crikey, yeah, that could be really big. And who knows what we will hear when we hear tonight from from uh, the witness, who is the lover of the first wife. Yes, and uh, you know, um, these, as I've said previously, these witnesses are, are, are very. <laughs> Very used to being asked these questions yeah. by now, having uh, the length of the process leading up to the trial. But it's always different when you know everyone is actually listening yeah. to you and watching you. But rather than just being in a little office with a with a with a solicitor or a police officer, even as, as and as intimidating as that is. Um, so yes, we um, in about twenty minutes um, we'll, we'll we'll see where we go. Okay, well, we better let you uh, get back into court for that so you don't miss anything. We'll get all those details from you tomorrow. Thanks for joining us as well tonight, Damien. Thanks, Nat. Can I just ask Tim one question yes. before we go? go I'll be very quick, Tim. Yes. Um, is there a suppression order on what the whereabouts of where this evidence is coming from? Um, not on the uh-huh. whereabouts. Um, he's he's on, on his identity, yes. um, um, his name, image. So um, you have to sort of basically read into it what you can talk to our own lawyers i'm being cautious um other media organizations around perth have said um, that w- the country that he's in i'm right. I've, I've, i'm i'm playing a playing a very <laughs> safe bat um with this with this trial um but um we'll, uh, we might be able to elaborate it on tomorrow because yes. after his evidence obviously then we'll we'll, we'll know exactly what detail he's going to go into and we'll probably get some guidance certainly from the internal lawyers but also probably maybe from the court on how far we can go in identifying right. as well well we'll definitely find that out from you tomorrow and if anyone listening has questions about the trial of course you can contact contact us through the west.com.au So I hope you can all join us tomorrow. Uh, Talk to you again, Tim, and we'll see you tomorrow for Claremont, The Trial in Conversation. This podcast was hosted by Natalie Bongiorlo, produced by Kate Ryan and Alicia Preedy, and recorded in the studios of 7 West Media. 
Audio files were provided from the archives of the Seven Network and the West Australian. Sign up for daily emails and all the latest on the Claremont trial at thewest.com.au.